being here. We'll go back to 1 Peter and continue on in 1 Peter and see where the Lord might let us get a couple verses in here tonight and maybe get through one of these chapters. Um, Boy, I'm telling you, the Bible is just so full of life and wisdom and uh, you know, I don't know if I ever lived in a time I didn't believe the Bible was so. Uh, I, I lived in disobedience to it. I, I didn't want to obey it. But I don't know if I ever, you know, didn't think the Bible was true. Uh, and, you know, the country we live in now, it's uh, uh, just uh, taken out of every, somehow it's something to be ashamed of. You know, it used to, people were proud of their country. I, mean, I hate to ramble. It, it, now it's, it's almost like it's popular to hate America. I, I don't understand that. I mean, we've got shame in our past, just like any other uh, group of people. But uh, I don't know about you, but I'm thrilled that God saved me and put me in America. And I love my country. I'm ashamed of it sometimes, sure, as how some people act. But, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I love this country. And uh, I think that she's... Uh, Uh, weathered some storms and God may see us through this one but either way this isn't my home this isn't my home so I don't want to get caught up in things that are of no eternal value and uh, that's what the Lord I guess why he's had us in first Peter here where he can exhort us to just to continue and remember we love our country we're going to honor those that are in authority but this isn't our home this isn't where we we've not put our roots down very deep here Uh, we are looking for another city whose builder and maker is God that continueth ever uh, just like his priesthood so uh, let's just keep our eye on the prize so to speak and try not to get discouraged with the, I don't know any other word, the craziness that's going on around us. Uh, We just need to pray for folks, trying to see folks saved. And, um, you know, the Lord's coming. Jesus is coming. And that verse said, I I can't remember who quoted it uh, here recently, but it's high time to wake out of sleep. And it's nearer than ever. Uh, We're closer today than we were yesterday. The Lord is coming. And so we need to be preparing ourselves, preparing our families, and Peter's trying to help us the best that we, we you can help poor old folk like me and you, uh, to suffer right and to suffer affliction. He's dealt with that uh, quite extensively in the first several verse, in the first several chapters. Uh, and we stopped here in chapter number three. Uh, about, uh, let's just pick up our reading back in verse number eight uh, as we finish up the last part of these words to continue and before he deals with the conscience uh, and speaks of some things and uh, concerning our conscience and we'll look at just a couple of things of that tonight Lord willing uh, but finally be oh, I'm in verse 8 of first Peter chapter 3 finally be ye all of one mind having compassion one of another love as brethren be pitiful be courteous not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing but contrary wise blessing Knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. And uh, so that'd be good for us to remember. Uh, Don't get too concerned when people are mistreating you with evil and with railing. Uh, You know, the expectation is for us to bless them. Uh, because uh, really the truth is, that is being taught here is we are going to inherit a blessing. So don't let stuff that happens down here uh, worry and bother you as much as it does because you're going to have a blessing and it's coming sooner than you think. 
so just can't hang on and hang in there and keep on fighting a good fight. For he, uh, excuse me, for he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his uh, lips that they speak no guile. Eschew evil, do good, and let him seek peace and ensue it. The eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, his ears under their prayers. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? And what a great, tremendous uh, uh, truth this verse is trying to teach us in these days. Uh, All that's going on, uh, there's nothing that will harm you if you just do right. Uh, nothing that will decrease your value, nothing that will decrease your uh, size, nothing that will affect your destiny if you will just do right and believe God. And so we ended in that verse and we'll pick up now in verse 14. But, and if you suffer for righteousness sake. So he uh, deals with the, the verse proceeding this morning. He talked about harm. And he said, now look, no, who is he that will harm you? Uh, and we got some great help with that, that uh, nothing's getting in to touch where you've been sealed to the day of redemption. Nothing can enter into that. The Lord sealed you, saved you, put you in his family, and all those wonderful things. But then the very next verse says, but, and if you suffer. Uh, So suffer and harm are not uh, related because he just says, who will harm you if you do right? But then he talks about doing right and suffering in the very next verses. So he didn't say you won't suffer at the hands of people. It is a suffering for people to do and say the things they do and say. Uh, It hurts. Uh, I've said this many a times. Uh, I could about deal with somebody just come up and punch me right in the jaw. Then I could deal with stuff uh, that is said. That saying, words never hurt me, sticks and stones break my bones. Uh, Whoever lied, somebody lied when they came up with that one. Uh, Words hurt people, and it's hurtful, and it's suffering. And so he goes on to the next verse and says, but uh, who is he that will harm you uh, if you'll just do right? It doesn't matter what they say and what they do that uh, uh, God knows and, and they can't harm you. But in, if you suffer for righteousness sake, happy are ye. Uh, we should be happy and we should be suffering if we're going to suffer for doing right. Uh, problem is most of us suffer having done wrong or suffering what we deserve to be suffering. Uh, but this verse is not referencing that. This is referencing uh, having done right. You suffer persecution, misunderstanding, you, uh, all those various things that we suffer and go through. Uh, if you suffer for doing right, it's better. Now, look, it says better. I'm going on to the conscience, but I don't want to miss this. But and if you suffer for righteousness sake, happy are you. Be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. And uh, he can say that because of verse 13. Right? And so don't be afraid and don't be troubled. There's a lot to be troubled with. There's so much going on today in this country, there's a lot to be troubled with. But don't be afraid and don't be troubled uh, because who is he that will harm you? Uh, You're going to be all right. Rest easy on those things, but you're going to suffer. And you're going to go through things that are hard to deal with. You're going to suffer heartache. People that you love are going to do things and uh, they may not go the way you've prayed for them to go. And they may, uh, all those various things. You're going to suffer in this. But he goes on the next verse after he says, don't be troubled and don't be afraid. 
And he says this, but, uh, but and if you suffer for righteousness sake, happier ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. And so he goes on, and before I uh, move on into verse number 15, uh, it doesn't say that, uh, uh, that, it's, um, that there's no benefit in suffering having done wrong. It goes on, there's another verse it talks about, it's better to suffer having done right if the will of God be so. And so uh, that we know, but it doesn't mean that having done wrong, if you suffer, there's no benefit in that. There can be a benefit that could work to your good if you'll learn from your own mistakes. The problem is we repeat the same thing uh, and doing the same thing and having the same problems over and over. We're not learning from our mistakes. Right? Learn from the mistakes of others. There can be a benefit to it, uh, but it's saying it's better if we would suffer doing right. Uh, but there is some benefit if you'll let God use. Uh, I've made mistakes in my life that I don't know if I would have learned the same way and the same truth had I not made those mistakes. Now, that doesn't mean we set out to make mistakes that the grace may abound. That's not, that's not what it's saying. Uh, but if you'll allow, uh, if you'll reflect on the, um, the error of your ways and the mistakes that you've made, God can use some of those things to help you be a better Christian. And so, and what I'm just trying to get at is you can waller in self-pity or uh, you can uh, just uh, uh, disturb your whole life being troubled over past mistakes if you want to. The best thing to do after you've repented and got it right is learn from what you did wrong and don't do the same thing again tomorrow. Uh, and so, uh, um, I know a lot of people that allow failures to come in their life and stop their progress for God. It's like they'll, they'll say, well, I failed, so what's the, uh, what's the use? Uh, I messed up today or I messed up yesterday, and so what's the use? The, the use is, is God lets you wake up today. Keep on going. Learn from your mistakes and let God use that. Uh, you know what I sometimes have learned? I have learned some mistakes that I've made, and, and I've learned from the mistakes of others, and I do things that are against my nature because I've seen how certain ways hurt other people. And so um, I, I've learned a lot about things to do, uh, but I've learned also from others about how not to be. Uh, so when you see failures in someone else, that's not something, God's not letting you see that uh, so that you can call everybody and tell them about it. God's allowing you to see that so that you can learn not to go down the same paths and make the same mistakes. And uh, so uh, try to do that because God lets us see the good and the bad in, in each other. And there's a reason for that because he wants us to learn from each other's mistakes. Is that not why the Bible's preserved? The Old Testament is written for our learning, right? So I can look at David and I can see mistakes that David made in his life and not make the same mistakes, right? Well, that same thing applies today. Uh, it's not the failures are not something uh, that we can talk about other people and use to make ourselves feel better uh, because we didn't fail where they did. It is a th it's something that we can see that God can help us to learn from that we won't repeat that mistake and hurt somebody else with it. Uh, I, I, I 
see that. I've, I've learned uh, things when you spend a lot of time uh, with preachers, um, I, uh, men that I've held up in such high esteem, and you spend a lot of time with somebody, and you'll see the good and the bad. Uh, you know, you don't spend a lot of time with pe- some people, and you have an image in your mind of what you think that they are. And so God allows you to see some things, but he always allowed me to see things and will allow you to see things in each other's lives so that you can learn and not make the same mistakes. I, I mean, God have mercy on us when we see faults in each other uh, and use that as a tool to gossip with as opposed to something to pray for and learn from. Uh, that's the, that is uh, actually an opportunity uh, for restoral. Uh, we, we choose to uh, instead talk about it with everybody else. Well, uh, we should go to the Lord and then the, the, the Bible say, use are spiritual, uh, restore such one a spirit of me is considering yourself. Right? So when we see these things in people, that was kind of a little side way there before we get to this other verse. Uh, but I, I, I always want to try and learn when I see things in people, I want to take note of their strengths. Do you do, you do that? When you, when you know men and you, and you see God's given them great strength, I, um, uh, I, I try to think about the men in my life. I had a, a list, um, a preacher that I had put down, and the strength that God had given each man. And uh, down beside uh, Brother Jeff, I would write, a praying man, a, a preaching man. And, and he's a man of prayer, a man of preaching. Brother Blue, I would write down certain things. Brother Beard, and I'd write down a church man. He's a man of the church. That, that was his strength. And and so try to pick out the good things in people. And when you see the bad, consider yourself because you could be worse off. Right? Right? And, and that's, a, that's a good way to look at things. And, and glean from others. I, I know one man said one time, and uh, he said he tried to uh, rub shoulders uh, with the best of God's men, hoping that someone would rub on him. And I understand that. What he was trying to say was, is to glean the best that he could from the best of those men. I tell my children all the time, you ought to be a better daddy than I was. They ought to be better than I was. I've made a lot of mistakes as a, as a dad. I'm not telling you which ones they were either. But I've made a lot of mistakes as a parent. Well, a few. But I said, now, what you got to do, you can't let that get bitter. You got to learn from that and try to be better. I would always say about my dad, I'm not going to do that. I want to be a better dad. It should always be an advancement. You young people should be better parents than your uh, parent is. You young men ought to be better uh, than your daddy, uh, better to your children. Ought to be a better, and ought to go uh, more. It's not something we see in somebody. Here's the tendency people have, and I'm ramming a little bit. Here's the tendency people have. They see the failure in you, and instead of doing anything about that, they Use that as an excuse to quit. Or use that as an excuse to get out. You can't do that. God lets you see that failure to learn from and to help that person with. It's an opportunity for me to help you. Right? It's not a reason, well, there's nothing to this because uh, brother so-and-so failed and so there's no. Listen, if brother so-and-so fails, it doesn't mean that Bible fundamentalism, what we believe that King James Bible teaches is wrong. It means that man was wrong. It's not a reflection on on God. It's a reflection on the person who failed and who knows what you would have done had you been there. Right? And so we got to look at those failures and those faults and those things that we see, especially you young people. God lets you see a lot going on, and the devil wants you to see a lot going on. So he can get you to say there ain't nothing to this. 
I've heard them say it. There ain't nothing to this because I've seen, uh, look how this one done and that one done. That is no reflection. The truth is still truth no matter what I do with it. Right? You can't live your life and how you're going to walk with God based on somebody else's faults or failures. What about picking up the good things? Why not saying this must be right because it carried James Jones for 42 years through the fire? Where, where's that attitude? Well, it, it, it carried Brother Bearden down. I think he's been preaching 50 years or whatever it is. It carried him through because he loved God's church and stayed faithful to it. Why don't they pick up on that strength instead of looking for a fault in everybody and a reason to quit? You know what I found out? Some people just want to quit. And it don't matter how right you do. They're going to find something to relieve themselves of the blame so that they can quit. Why don't you just do yourself a favor and be a big boy or a big girl and just quit if you're going to quit and not use anybody else for your reasoning? Amen. Woo! We all could do that. Brother Ruby, somebody could say, I hate how that preacher screams and he, he, uh, he was mean to somebody or something. You know, all of us could use some kind of an excuse. I could find things and find fault. We could all do that if that's what we were looking for. But we ought to see faults and failures as an opportunity to pray and love and help others stand perfect in Christ Jesus and not something we can use so that we can run out and quit and live worldly. If you want to quit and live worldly, just go on and live in the world then if God will let you do it. Then don't use me for your excuse. I'm just doing the best I can with the grace God's given me. Right? And nobody has. I'm just using myself. But don't use Tyler. You know, just take responsibility for yourself. That is gone in our day. Responsibility for self. It's always somebody else's fault. No, it is not. When you stand before God and you stand at the, at the judgment seat, if you're saved or at the great no matter where you stand before God, you're going to meet God for you. And you're not going to say, well, God, I'd have been faithful to you, but so-and-so mistreated me. Well, listen, you may not be able to fix that with so-and-so, and God may allow you to move and go to another church. I, I understand those things happen, but it ain't no reason to walk out and quit God. He didn't mistreat you. Stay faithful to God. I don't care where it's at. Just stay faithful to God. Amen. Yes. Don't, don't, uh, don't allow the enemy. That's all the enemy. That's what he's trying to do. Any way to get you to quit. And if he can get you looking at people and get your eyes off the Lord, he'll do it. I don't care what he has to use. He'll use anything he can to get you to quit living for God. Don't let him do it. Make no provision for the flesh for the less thereof, and make no provision for him to come into your mind and tell you things that ain't so and get you to quit. Keep going on for God. Amen. Amen. Just have some good old-fashioned resolve. You know, I think it's fun. I think it not, it's not funny. You know, I, I've seen that happen time and time again. And, and I understand it because I've had the tendency. I've had the same thoughts in my mind. Brother, I mean, we sit here and look, and we, and we look down the road, and we see these other churches that are um, these non-denominational churches that don't really stand for anything, and uh, have no standards, have no convictions, they don't stand for anything. And we think their buildings are overflowing, and we, uh, hey, all of us look at things wrong sometimes, get messed up in our mind, and uh, nobody's upset with that. Here's what I don't understand: the Bible says if you see a fault in somebody, what does the Bible say for you, for us to do? Restore such a one. 
Isn't it strange that, that, that some of those that are so right that they're going to quit, uh, and you're so wrong, and, and, and the reason they quit is because you hurt them. Uh, if they're so right, how come they never took the step to ever call the person and try to restore them? If you're so right and I'm so wrong, why don't you tell me? Wouldn't you be obligated to, as a good Christian brother, to tell me the truth? They're just going to let me miss it and fail God? Come on now, you know, we use your brain for more than a, uh, a hat rack. We know better than that. You see, you see failures and, and faults in people, buddy. Hey, listen, you can't be in a church without seeing some ugly things. It's the same thing about marriage. You young people, put, get your expectation right. You're not going to have a perfect marriage. There ain't one in this building. Because you got two imperfect people. It's never going to be perfect in whatever sense you think that that is. Right? It's not going to be perfect. In church, you're going to see problems. You're going to see failure. Let's just hang in there and stick in there and try to help each other. Right? Not look for something to, to, to say, well, see, I told you there wasn't nothing to that. Listen, it don't matter what they did with the truth. The truth is still true. You're still obligated to it no matter what they did with it. Pray for them, lift them up, call them, try to help them. Amen. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I've had people get mad at me before, and they never called me and told me how wrong I was, but they told everybody else. That ever happened to any of y'all? <laughs> Thinking, man, why didn't you just tell me? I'd have, tried, I'd have prayed about it. Maybe I'm wrong here. You know. Anyhow, boy, that'll help you, won't it? Hang in there. Have some grit. Hang in there. Help people. And let's go on. Now we've got to move on. We've got to get to this thing. Now, uh, happy uh, are ye, and be not afraid of their terror. Verse 15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And we know uh, what that word means, to separate uh, apart from your life. And uh, that ought to be in every aspect of our life. We ought to sanctify the Lord God in our hearts. Uh, God's not the big man upstairs. He's not somebody you kneel to after you score a touchdown and point at him. Uh, that's ridiculous. You want to run a touchdown, run it, leave God out of it. I think that's the, that is one of the craziest things I've ever seen. Like God helped a man run a touchdown. And they get down there and make a big show of it. That's what I say to that. Just run the touchdown. I'm proud of you. You know, praise the Lord. You, Tennessee, we don't see many. And uh, so we're thrilled when they come. And uh, <laughs> I didn't mean that. That wasn't nice. Right? Sanctify the Lord God in your heart. He's not your co-pilot. That's, that's crazy thinking. Have a, more, have a higher respect. God should be uh, something that is special, that is uh, something that is, uh, 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 and that's why the Bible says, no, you're not. Your body's a temple of the Holy Ghost. Would you have of God? And so uh, would you want to take that temple and make him do things? And so that's why we need to sanctify the Lord, set him apart. Uh, it ought to be something special in your life, a special relationship that you have. Just like you set aside time for your wife and your, your husband and your children, set aside time and uh, to call Cultivate the relationship uh, with God who loves you more than anybody else, by the way. Sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Set him apart from everything else. Uh, and then he's going to go on to say this. And this is uh, the mainly where I wanted to get to. Um, uh, verse number 15. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And be ready always uh, to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and 
and fear. And I wanted to turn back to Acts chapter number 21, but I don't think we'll do that for sake of time. Uh, but uh, when he's going to go on and deal with the conscience, uh, he's mentioned the conscience once already, uh, but he's about to mention it here again in verse 16. But in verse 15, he wants us to always be ready to give an answer to every man the reason of the hope that lies within you. It's not enough just to have it inside yourself. People have got to see and hear uh, what you, why you believe what you believe. They got to know why. And people say, well, I think the best witnesses are just living out of uh, in front of them. Well, that's true. Uh, but uh, also, I think sometimes that's a cop out for having to open your mouth and tell them. Some people like to say that. Well, I'm just living in front of them, but I'm not going to tell them. That's not enough. Hey, I've seen some pretty good Masons that are pretty good fellows. They some shriners that do more than a Baptist would do. Pretty good fellow. They do some good things for kids. I mean, hey, they do some great th- things as far as works are concerned. So how can you identify that with Christianity? You've got to open your mouth and tell them. And don't be afraid to open your mouth and say, I'm going to tell you why. This is exactly why. And because he's going to deal with this good conscience. I, I, I want to get there before I go too fast. But we ought to always be ready at any moment. That's why it's important we walk in the Spirit. At any second, I, I've talked to a certain man uh, about this um, uh, that's in business. And, uh, and it's crazy sometimes we'll talk about. At any moment, the craziest time somebody, uh, God will open the door. When you're least expecting uh, to have to talk to somebody about the Lord. That'll be the time they ask something. Isn't that amazing? It's like you, you got to always be ready to give that answer of the real. What would you say? Young people, what would you say tonight? If I asked you, what's the reason of the hope that lies within you? Well, that's what I've always been taught. That won't be enough. Right? What's the reason that you are living the way you're living. Why do you, do, you, do you believe what you're going through? It's just, or well, I can't wait to get out of here because this is what my parents make me do. Do you have hope lying within you? Do you have that? So if somebody asks you the reason of the hope that lies within you, are you ready to give an answer? What's your answer going to be? Somebody asks you about uh, Tyler. If they say, Tyler, uh, why do you live the way that you live? Why won't you go out and drink with us? My dad beat me to death. That better not be the only answer because he would beat you to death. I know him pretty good. Right? Right? What's the reason? Cody, why don't you cuss all the time and tell, tell jokes you shouldn't tell? Somebody might ask you that sometime. People take notice when you do, right? And they may say, well, why is that? And I, I, have, I have seen that time and time again. You better be ready to give an answer. What are you going to say? Oh, I learned this in Sunday school. Better be deeper than that. It better be true inside you. That's what he says here. Uh, be ready uh, to give an answer of the reason. Uh, give the answer that the preacher gave you last Sunday. No, give an answer from the heart where it lies within you. I'll tell you why I've got hope because of Jesus. That's why I've got hope. And yeah, I've heard it preached and I appreciate it. But it, I, it's not true because I heard it preached. It's true because one night I bowed my knee and God entered my life. And so they say, well, I don't know how to articulate it, but I can tell you this. I know God changed me for the better and for eternity, and I'm thrilled that he did. Amen. I did what the Bible said. I repented, and I believed God, and my sins are gone. That's all I know. Well, what happened to them? I got a good idea what happened to them. I mean, I, I think that there's a chance that they were in the body of Jesus, and they were burnt uh, when he entered in the lower parts of the earth. But I don't, listen, I don't know what happened to them. All I know is I'm not guilty of them anymore. 
That's going to be the question here in a minute that he's going to ask. The answer, not of the washing of the fullness of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience. Well, if there's an answer of a good conscience, what's the question? What's the question asked of the good conscience? What's the question asked for there to be the answer? Don't look at me like that. Boy, this is just wonderful. I got to go quick. Uh, Sanctify the Lord. Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. You know what the sad truth is? I don't mean this to be mean. There's been times, I'll admit to my, I'll admit before you tonight, there's been times in my life, it's probably been true. The sad truth is not many people are asking us because they don't see a difference and they see in you than they do anybody else. You're just as unhappy. You're just as mean. You're just as hateful. You're just a, and so they don't ask you because they don't see any reason to ask you. They don't see much hope in you either. And I'm not trying to be mean, but when I started getting right with God, I started looking for those people who had something I didn't have. (laughs) I wasn't down there with the other uh, people uh, that I run with in excess of riot. I wasn't going to them looking for answers. I started going to them church going people that I never did like. I did not like church going people. I'm not going to tell you now until I got, got to be one myself. You know what I'm talking about, JC. You just, you just didn't, uncomfortable in church, uncomfortable with church people. And then God saved you, and that's all you want to be around anymore, just church people. But when I was seeking for the truth, that's who I asked for a reason. You young people, I don't mean to keep bothering just the young people. This is good for all of us across the board. But we ought to live in such a manner that we're the ones people ask. There's people, there's people that ought to be calling us saying, hey, what's going on in this world? I know, uh, I know people that call that never think twice about God and they see the world get in trouble or they see something with Israel and they'll call and start asking, what does the Bible say about that? That's the way it ought to be, folks. And when they ask, we ought to be ready to give a reason. How you all doing? You young people doing? You doing okay? It's not easy. Nobody said it'd be easy, but it'll be worth it. It'll be worth it. You just hang in there for the Lord. It'll be worth it. Don't let some of us fool you. We're having the time of our life. Saved, redeemed, washed in the blood of Jesus. I can remember this. Let me go on to the next verse and at least touch it before we get to Wednesday night. We'll have time then to really look more. But in verse 15, after we give this reason, and can I make one quick statement here? When, when people asketh of a reason of the hope that is in you, we're supposed to do that with meekness and fear. I'm not for much of this mean, belligerent spirit towards people. Are you? Well, you're going to hell and you might as well just get right with God. I'm not for that kind of spirit. When they ask of a reason, I'll tell you why I got hope. Bless God, you better get right with God. All that kind of attitude, that is not going to help nobody. But when you give that reason, that hope lies within you, and you give it with some meekness, I'll tell you why I've got hope, because God loves sinners. I don't have hope because I was a good person. I was quite the opposite. Right there sits my wife. I've got to tell the truth tonight. 
I was quite the opposite. It wasn't me, Brother Mark. It was just the grace of Almighty God. It's all I know. And you give that answer and that spirit of meekness and a reason of why you've got hope in you, man, that'll help people. People are not going to receive us when we're mean and mean-spirited and hateful and, and, and using uh, words that are mistreating and just stirring up strife and all that. that. God's not in all that. Just give that reason of hope. You want to help people, you're going to have to love them. You're going to have to let them know that you love them. They're not, I'm telling you, I, I can take just about anything if you'll love me. But this mean, hateful, belligerent stuff, you can keep that all you want to in whatever religion and whatever church you got it from. Right? That's the way most people's attitude are. So give that, give that answer, but give it with some meekness. And give it with fear. Um, because um, it's not just uh, the word that's spoken, uh, but also the timing of that word and the manner in which it's given. Uh, but in verse number 16 now, so uh, be ready to give an answer of the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience. Now, that's a mouthful right there because that's never been possible until me and you. Now, not me and you here in 2020, but me and you in this dispensation that we live in. They knew nothing. Now, for sake of time here, well, can we look at it? Can you turn to Hebrews? It's not that, it's not that much turning. Uh, turn to Hebrews. And most of you know the verses here uh, that I'm wanting to use. Uh, Paul uh, talked about his conscience and how we see two different things here. You're going to see the conscience of the converted and the conscience of the child. Uh, and something happens to your conscience at the moment you're born again. Uh, but then something can also happen to it as you go on living the Christian life. That's where I mentioned Paul this morning. He says, wherein I exercised myself before he preached to Felix and said, I have a conscience void of offense towards God in men. He tried to live that way. God cleaned my conscience, washed me and purged me when I got saved. And I do everything that I possibly can not to do anything that would injure man or offend God. That's the way he lived. But for that to even be possible... There's going to have to be something that happens that's far beyond the flesh. And so I want to look at Hebrews. There's two different places in Hebrews. Uh, chapter number 9. Let's just look at chapter number 9 where it talked about the purification of the flesh where the law uh, did obtain at least a part of uh, cleansing the flesh, the blood of bulls and goats and all of those things. Uh, let me just uh, just mention first number, um, well, you'd have to read too much of this chapter. Uh, but it talks about, uh, let me just give a quick summary here. In chapter 9 of the book of Hebrews, and it uh, talked about how that every uh, year uh, there was still an offering of sins. And uh, they had to go in and talk about the high priest would go in once a year and he couldn't go in without blood. And he offered for himself and then he offered for the heirs of the people. And the Holy Ghost in verse 8 is signifying the way into the holiest was not yet made manifest. Now it is now. And Jesus, our forerunner, has entered there, right? And which stood only in meats and drinks and divers washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. But Christ becoming a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building. And he's not by blood of bulls and goats, but by his own blood entered in once into the holy place, having attained eternal redemption for us. And so if the blood of bulls and goats, I'm in verse 13, and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, and that's as far as the law could go. 
The law could not go in and change. A leper was still a leper. It could not change what he was. That, and if you're, if, you're here, if you're here and you're lost tonight, uh, the, the, the most dreadful part, uh, the only dreadful thing about God uh, or eternity is guilt. That's what's wrong with your conscience because you know that you're guilty. Now, you go back to Genesis and you look in the garden and you see where Eve was uh, tempted by the enemy and she uh, partook and she sinned against God and sin did not enter in by her, uh, but she, uh, her husband, I, well, I have some ideas there. I think he knew it. The Bible said he ate and he did this willing. He was not, uh, he was not deceived. The woman was deceived and she was in transgression. I think he willingly did it and died with her personally. But, but anyway, he ate, he sin entered into the world and death by sin and the Bible says immediately their eyes were open and they knew they were naked and God said well the voice walking uh, Jesus I would say uh, that's the uh, the uh, the expressed image of the person of God God's a spirit and so if they talked and saw anybody they had to see Jesus uh, maybe uh, anyway anyway uh, so uh, he says who told you there that you're naked They know good and evil. Their conscience has been awakened now uh, to the differences and knowing good and evil. Not knowing it intellectually. They knew it by experience and they fell. Their conscience became aware. What happened to them? When they found out they were naked, they hid themselves. Why? It's the same reason when you go out of town and you don't even, you're not even looking for it, but you go out of town and you'll see somebody that's shocked to death to see the preacher and they're doing this number. You wouldn't have to pull it down if you had the right length on the thing, but either way, I don't care. I'm there to get groceries. <laughs> Amen. What's wrong? The conscience. The conscience bothers people. And that's a good thing that we have a conscience. You can't get saved without it. And so they fell. Their conscience was awakened to this one dreadful fact that they were guilty before God. Now we got to stop. But there's a tremendous truth getting taught here in the book of Hebrews. Nothing could remove permanently the guilt from the conscience of a human human being by the law and the offering of goats. But Jesus, our high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, entered in once into the holy place, obtained eternal redemption, and now... Now my guilt is gone. I don't know all that happened, but this much I know. And I don't deserve it, and neither did you. But when I got up from my knees after I got saved, I was no longer a guilty sinner before God. My guilt was gone. I have regrets. I have shames about some things I've done in the past. But as far as my guilt before God, I stand just as holy, just as righteous as the Son of God in the eyes of God. Positionally. I don't mean to say that lightly. That's a tremendous truth. Makes you want to take your shoes off. That's holy ground to even think about. But that's how God sees you. Perfect. Complete. Righteous. Just. I know it's possible. How can a man be just with God? Only one way. And Job knew it a long time ago. There's got to be somebody between me and God betwixt us and bring us together. And God was in Christ reconciling sinners unto himself. (laughs) He took the hand of little old sinners like me and you and took the hand of God and brought us together in his own body. (laughs) 
and now our guilt is gone. Do you know, remember that? Now let me tell you something now. We still got a conscience. And uh, when you mess up as a Christian, that conscience still bothers you and you ought to thank God for it. Thank God there's a prick in there that I thank God for that. But our conscience now has been purged, has been clean. My guilt is absolutely gone. Here, just like that songwriter said, my guilt is gone. <laughs> now that's a that's something to think about. If you think about the conscience. Think about what's being said there in Hebrews. We go back to chapter 2 or chapter 10 in Luke as well. But think about every year the offering was made and when they, no more than they left that tabernacle, brother, they were still conscious. They knew they were still guilty. It allowed me flesh-wise to approach a holy God. It cleansed me in that manner. Those cherubims guard the presence of God. They, he's whole, God's holy. So holy to look upon sin. Uh, but uh, it cleansed to the degree to allow us to approach the throne, uh, allow them. But now you and me with confidence, we enter straight into the throne room. <laughs> Why? We're no longer guilty. Whew. I've done some mean old things in my life and my guilt is gone. Why don't you forgive yourself a thing that God's forgiven you for? If it's under the blood, why don't you quit beating yourself to death with it? I've seen people just tear themselves all to pieces worried about things they used to be. If God's forgiven it, let it go. We're harder on ourselves. God's, God's forgiven you and for Christ's sake. So quit bringing it up all the time. He chose not to remember that against you anymore. All that that we used to be, God's not remembering that against us anymore. The devil's never forgot it. And I know some people has never forgot it. But God has frankly chose to forget them. He didn't forget. He chose to. How about your conscience tonight? Can I ask you that before we go home? And uh, you think about the conscience. Can I ask you about your conscience tonight? Quickly, just um, have you ever been saved? Those were miserable days when God, you remember Isaac, they go up to the altar, Abraham, said, you wait here, me and the lad go yonder to worship. Remember when that load of sin, and he's trying to carry that load up, it, that, that's the, the work of the Spirit of God and the conscience, putting on you under that load of guilt for sins that you've committed. You are guilty for them. And there's only one way to get the freedom to get loosed from those uh, guilty sins, from that weight. Uh, you've heard people describe it that way. When they got saved, they just felt free. They felt lighter. You know, you've heard people talk about that. I know what they mean by that. That weight of guilt. It's, it's the load of sin that God puts you under. Are you under the load of sin tonight? I wonder, I, I can remember, there's been things that's happened, but I remember when God saved me, Brother Jones, I had the answer of a good conscience. I'm telling you, if somebody asked me, because that's what he's going to go on to deal with, that's the question, are you saved? Because he talks about baptism and how Noah and the ark, he didn't save them from their sins. Noah wasn't saved from his sins because of the ark. It's a figure, it's a picture. <laughs> they were saved from wrath and damnation, from uh, wrath and judgment. But that's not the answer. The answer is a, of a good conscience. Are you saved tonight? You know what my conscience says? Humbly, I have to say, yes, because of the blood of Jesus, I'm saved by grace. 
And humbly I have to say, though I've made a mess of life, I'm forgiven in Jesus. What about your conscience tonight? There, there, there is something, there is something so sweet about being able to lay your head down at night and having a, a conscience that's just clean. Is your conscience clean tonight? Are you guilty of sin? Is there things in your life? I mean, even a Christian can be in that uh, position in his life. But I'm telling you, if you're here tonight lost, what you're feeling, that weight, that guilt, that pressure, is the, is the person of the Holy Ghost in your conscience bringing you to the realization of the fact that you are guilty before God. And if you don't do something about it, there is wrath and judgment to come. And the only hope is Jesus Christ. The only way for a sinner to unload that guilt wasn't by all these offerings and the works of the law. It was what Jesus did through the eternal spirit when he offered himself without spot to God is able to purge your conscience. That word purge. I wish I had time to go into it. We got to go home. I wish I had time to look at that word purge. That's more than wash. (laughs) If we purge something tonight, it'd be more than just taking some bleach and scrubbing it down. But he purges your conscience from all those dead works. And now you've got a clean conscience before God, able to walk in newness of life. Do you have that tonight? Do you have that peace? That, that, is, that, is, that is what my, my conscience, I'm at peace with God. Are you at peace with God? Has all that guilt that you were under, is all that gone, is that load of sin? Are you, are you, is your conscience condemning you? Are you, uh, where are you at? Where's your conscience at? Uh, what about it, Christian? Are you, are you in a place where you're living uh, in such a manner? Maybe you're saved and maybe your conscience is bothering you because some things that you've done. Uh, you know, you can't go on like that. A lot of people, uh, and I'm, I'm done with that because I, I wanted to go back and look at uh, some things. But we'll do that Wednesday night. But um, a lot of people, uh, uh, they're, 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 sometimes they seem hateful and miserable. A lot of that is not you that they're mad at. They're miserable and themselves, their conscience is bothering them. And a lot of times they'll lash out at you and they don't mean to. They're unhappy with themselves. Is that where you are? Are you unhappy with yourself? Is your conscience bothering you because you've done some things you know that are not right? You know what I have to say? Thank God there is a loving and forgiving God that's willing to purge our conscience. That didn't happen just once. There's been times in my old life where God's had to continue to clean me up and forgive me of things I've been guilty of. None of us, just like Dr. McCormick said, the only way to live above sin is to rent a room above a pool hall. One thing we've all got in common tonight, right? But I tell you this much, and I mean to say this as humbly as I possibly can, and I'm done. Stand to your feet just a moment. But I do know this much. I know that God has saved me and forgiven me in Christ, and I can lay down, I can get on my knees and ask God to forgive me and get up knowing that God has forgiven me. My conscience, it's like God just... 
I hope if you're not saved here tonight, I hope you can experience salvation is more than cleaning up the outside of a person. It's more than just making you look right. It, it, it reaches deep down inside of a person when you lay your head down at night and nobody's looking at you. What, what God sees inside of you, that's where God's effects and salvation at. Deep inside your soul. I hope you've got that tonight. Lord, thank you for purging our conscience from dead works. Thank you for removing the guilt that all of us were under. Thank you for freeing us. Thank you for giving us the peace and joy of living a life whose conscience has been guided by the Word of God and purged and cleansed by the Holy Ghost. I pray for any person that's here tonight that's never been saved. That, Lord, you'd please deal with them in conviction and power. Help them, Lord, to believe on Jesus. For those that may be saved and, Lord, struggling with some things, please help them as well. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll have a verse. Brother Reed, sing for us. If you need to come.